Mike was a huge part of my life in the formative years of my faith. I, I, uh, I committed my life to Christ as a teenager, and so Mike was there during those years to be uh, significant in, in solidifying my co- commitment to Christ and in, in um, confirming my sense of call uh, in ministry. He was a huge part of my life. And in many ways, as I grew up, um, I sort of idolized Mike. I sort of put him on sort of a a pedestal in my life. He modeled for me what it meant to follow Jesus, and uh, I wanted to grow up to be just like him. So when I was not in school, in high school, when I was not in school, I was at church. That was just kind of my deal. That's kind of where I hung out. And I would like drive from school, and I would go right to the church, and I would hang out there around the offices, and I would make copies if he needed copies or fill water balloons if he needed. I would just kind of hang out there. That was sort of the place I would be because I wanted to be around this guy who was just really significant in my life. He was there during some of those um, real marker moments in my faith along the way, including my baptism. We got a picture of that. And um, and in and, and my wedding, and you know, he, he was there for significant you know times in my life. And then after high school, and I started college and preparing for ministry, I, I was close enough still to my church to where I was able to um, be a volunteer youth staff member. So I continued to be able to work with Mike on kind of a you know on a volunteer level. And um, and it was during those years when I was in college that God began to sort of move Mike's heart in a new direction of ministry. And I began to sense this and sort of see this. And from my perspective, I felt like he was distracted and that he didn't care anymore. And as a result, I developed an attitude towards Mike. My idol was not living up to my expectations. And I was becoming disillusioned. And as I reflect back on it now, I recognize that I was, I was not very supportive at, at all during those final months of his ministry and his, his time as a youth pastor in our church because I just had this attitude about he wasn't being the kind of guy I thought he should be. You see, I had wrongly elevated Mike I had put him on a pedestal, and my focus was on a person rather than on God. I realize that now. Now, God did end up moving Mike in a new direction in ministry, and uh, to this day, he's using him in some pretty incredible ways. He's a a lead pastor over in a great church, a thriving church over in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I think we got a picture of him. He's uh, a little grayer than before, but um, so am I, so, uh, and... uh, and God's using him in awesome ways there. And we're still good friends. Uh, we still connect. And uh, in fact, as I was thinking about sharing this story today, I shot him a text uh, on Friday, just a couple days ago. And uh, I said, hey, I'm going to be talking about this this weekend. And I said, hey, I just want to take a moment and I just want to apologize for you know, the person I was, and especially during that, that time when you needed some support. I apologize that I was, uh, I was probably a source of, of great frustration for you and of discouragement for you in ministry. And I just want to say I'm sorry for that. And, uh, and it wasn't surprising when, when he texted back and, and he said, hey, 
For any of the negative stuff I did, I apologize. And for anything that was positive in your life, Christ gets all the glory. Pretty cool. He is still following hard after Jesus, and uh, he is still leading God's church well, and he is on a trajectory to finish well in ministry, which sadly is pretty uncommon in these days. Um, So it's pretty cool to have a good friend like that still to this day. And you know what? Maybe God has used a mic in your life along the way. Maybe God has used somebody in your life to be a source of great encouragement or help in your life spiritually. Perhaps, like me, however, there have been times when you have put a pastor or a leader on a pedestal and you've focused more on a person than on Christ himself. And if that's true, then I want you to know this message is for you. It's definitely for you. Or perhaps you have experienced some disillusionment with a leader who has let you down, who failed to live up to your expectations, or who legitimately faltered in some significant way. If that is you, then I want you to know this message is definitely for you. Because ever since the birth of the church, um, God has given it leaders to shepherd, to lead, to be a part of the development of his church. And ever since he's done that, there have been people who have wrongly elevated certain leaders to a status they should not, never have been at. Focused on individuals rather than focusing on God. And here's the thing, that's exactly what was happening in the church in Corinth. Um, If you've been here for the last few weeks, we've been walking through a series um, looking at a letter that that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that had a number of different issues and challenges and problems. And uh, and this was one of them. They were elevating leaders above where they should have, and it was causing problems in the church. It was creating divisions in the church. And for the last few weeks, we've been kind of walking through this letter. It's called 1 Corinthians. And we're calling this series Independent. And the reason why is because there was a spirit of independence in that church that was at the heart of their issues. The sense of saying, we've got it. We've got the answers. We've figured this out. God, we don't really need you. And it was creating all kinds of problems. Today, we're in chapter 3. And, uh, and, and Paul, the guy who... who planted this church, who started this church, is speaking to the problem of elevating leaders above their rightful place. And I want us to dive in because this entire chapter addresses that issue. And here's what happens is we get a chance to see this issue from God's perspective because they were looking at it from their own perspective. And that was a problem. So, uh, so if you have a Bible with you or if you have an, uh, an app or you know, phone or whatever and you want to open up, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now last week, uh, I, I left off with the first few verses of chapter 3. And I'm going to read those again because they set us up for where the rest of the chapter goes. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. 
For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, we talked about this last week. Paul says, listen, you're not acting like people of the Spirit. You're acting like people of the flesh. You're, you're kind of spiritually stuck here. And it's evidenced by the bickering that's going on between which leader you follow, who you think is best. And then he says this. He says, here's the thing. You, you guys are approaching this from a merely human perspective. You're looking at the church. You're looking at leaders in the church from a human perspective. And so what Paul does is he goes on the rest of this chapter and he says, I want to show you God's perspective of the church. I want to show you God's perspective of leaders in the church. And then that will maybe help you sort of make a change and focus back where you need to focus, not on people, but on God. And in order to do that, in order to communicate that, Paul uses something that actually Jesus used a lot in his teaching, and that is he used a picture, a metaphor to explain the church. In fact, he uses two of them to communicate this idea of the church. He uses the idea of farming and the idea of building, right? And so he just used that as a metaphor to say, it's kind of like farming, it's kind of like building, and then he unpacks that to describe God's perspective of the church and leaders in the church and how we ought to respond to them, all right? So let's read on. We left off uh, at verse five. Let's read on and see what Paul says about farming, and how that gives us God's perspective of the church. He says this, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building, okay? Now, Paul uses a very uh, familiar image in that day of farming to describe God's perspective. To, To address this issue of favoring one leader over another. And he starts off by saying, hey, who are we? Like Paul's writing this, and Paulus, Apollos was another leader in the church. And he says, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? In fact, what are we? And then he says this. He says, here's what we are. We're servants. And in light of what he's talking about in farming, he's saying, here's what we are. We are farmhands. That's God's perspective of who we are. You've been sort of elevating us. You've been sort of elevating leaders and picking one over another. And I'm just telling you, God's perspective is this, that this is like a farm. You're the field, and we're just workers in the field. The farmhands are just working for the owner, which is God. And he says, by the way, he's the one who makes it grow. 
God owns the farm. He owns those who work on the farm, the leaders in the church. And he's the one who makes people grow. He's the one who makes this happen. He says, listen, I just, I just spread some seed. That was my job. Apollos, he came along with a little watering can, right? And he was watering. We, we just did what God was asking us to do. We just had roles as farmhands. But God's the one who made you grow. He's the one who did. In other words, he's communicating this. When it comes to this whole church thing, God gets the credit, right? God gets the credit for your growth. God gets the credit for what's going on because he is the owner of the field. And we're just workers. He's giving right perspective of who they are in light of who God is. You see, they were rallying around the workers and they had lost sight of the owner. The church members had been selecting their favorite leader, but Paul says, we're on the same crew here. We just have different jobs, right? I mean, he does one thing, I do another, somebody else does something else. We're just fellow workers, employed by God, if you will. And you, he says, are his field. You're the place where the work is being done. It's almost as if Paul's saying, why in the world is the field divided over who waters and who spreads seed? That doesn't make sense. This isn't about us, Paul's saying. Your focus needs to move back to him. Do not allow your attention to move off of God and onto people, onto farmhands. Because that is not God's perspective. Now here's the thing. Paul is not denying the role of leadership in the church. He's not denying that. He's not saying that's not significant, that's not important. He is simply keeping things in perspective. Right? He's just reminding, yeah, yeah there's workers in the field. But, um, but God's the one who owns it all. And God's the one who does all the work. He just wants them to have the right perspective. Leaders have a role, but honoring God is the goal. That's what we need to remember. So it's a simple picture. There's a problem going on in the church. There's colossal division going on because people are rallying around certain leaders and saying, I like this one and I support this one and I'm behind that person. And, and Paul goes, whoa, 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 you are looking at this all wrong. You're seeing it from a human perspective. Let me give you God's perspective of this whole deal. Kind of like looking down on this whole thing, God's saying, here's what I see. I see a farm. <laughs> you guys, you're the field. He owns it. Yeah, there's some people working around here. They're employed by him. They have different roles, but I'm the one who makes you grow. I'm what this is all about, Right? That's the simple picture that's being given here. And before we move on, because he goes on to talk about another metaphor, another picture, before we do that, I just want to stop for a moment and I want to ask you a question. Do you need to reorient your focus from a person to God? Maybe by just starting off this message already, there's something that we've talked about so far that sort of, you know, the Spirit of God is raising in your heart to say, maybe you've done that. 
Maybe you've wrongly focused on a person over who God is in leadership. And maybe God wants to bring that back into right perspective. Do you need to reorient yourself? Perhaps you have elevated a leader. You've put them on a pedestal. And your focus is still on them. Maybe they were a favored leader from the past. Maybe it was a person that God used to help bring you to Christ. Or maybe it's somebody you still follow to this day. And if so, perhaps what the Spirit of God wants to say to you today is this. Get your eyes off a person and get it back on me. And maybe your eyes are on that person for, for positive reasons, like God's really used them in my life. It's been great. Well, maybe what God's saying is, well, thank me for that and turn your focus back on me. That's a good thing that God's used the worker in your life, but just maybe say thank you for that. And maybe that person was, God used them 20 years ago in your life, or maybe he uses them now, but, but just thank me for that, but don't unduly focus on that person. Focus on me. Maybe that's what God wants to say to you. Or maybe for you, it's a leader who's let you down. I know that many people, perhaps one of the biggest challenges in the life of the church today is that people have had bad experiences with different leaders. And maybe somebody failed you in some way. And your focus is still on that person or on their failure. And perhaps as a result, you've sort of lost sight of the one who brings the growth and instead you've focused on one of the workers or on how they've let you down and hurt you in some way. Maybe what you need to do in response is to release that is to release the, the blame, the, the bitterness that has tainted your view of God's workers. <laughs> you see, here's the thing. We'll, we'll discover in just a moment when his focus moves on to the leaders themselves, and that is this, that God says, I'll determine the work. I'll, I'll take a look at the quality of the work that they've done, and I'll deal with that accordingly. And so you can trust God to do that. But sometimes I think that something can happen and, and we can hold on to that. And, and, and even on the negative side, we can still be focused on a person instead of God. Now, I'm not making light of that at all because I know some of you experience things that have been very, very hurtful. And I'm not making light. In fact, I have, have experienced that in my own life multiple times. With, with leaders, with mentors in my life, with colleagues in ministry who have um, failed in colossal ways and it's impacted my life in significant ways. And so I'm not making light of that. I get it. I understand that. But I also realize this. From God's perspective, from heaven's perspective, you need to move your eyes off of a person or off of a failure and put it back on God. That's the message of Paul. And so maybe God would be calling you to release that. Because as long as we hold on to and focus on a person, whether for good or for bad, what happens is our growth is stunted. 
And we need God to grow us. As Paul reminded the church, church leaders are farmhands. And God makes things grow. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of that passage we just read, he uh, changed the metaphor, right? He, he was talking about this whole farm thing. And he says, you know, you are the field. And then he ends it like this. He says, you are the field and you are the building. You are God's building. And what that marks is that he's going to now move into a new picture, a new metaphor, a new idea. And that is, he's going to talk to now to the leaders themselves. And he's going to compare it to building something. Construction workers. Let's read on. Verse 10, it says this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul transitions here, and he begins to use the image of a builder. And he turns his focus from the people in the church to the leaders in the church. And he says, listen, you've been given a responsibility to be about building in God's church. He's called you to the role, to the job of building. And he gives them a pretty stern warning. He says, you need to be careful how you build because this is a precious thing that you're working on. This is God's church. And you need to be careful how you do that. And in particular, he focuses on the foundation. And he says this to those leaders in the church in that day in Corinth. He says, I came and I laid a foundation. And the foundation I laid was Jesus Christ. And Paul makes that clear over and over again. The things he taught and preached about and wrote about as he said... When I was with you, I knew nothing but Christ Jesus. In fact, when I came and I preached to you, I shared with you what I told you about was what Christ did for you on the cross, the difference he can make in your life, and I built this church thing on Jesus as our foundation. And then he gives this warning to leaders. He says, do not try to create a different foundation. Okay, don't start building on some other philosophy, on your own wisdom, because he's been talking about that in this letter. Don't build the church on your own ideas, your own wisdom, on some new idea to draw a crowd to church. Don't build it on that. Build it on Christ so that it will last. And then he goes on and he goes, and with this metaphor of building, and he uses, he talks about some building materials, right? And he's talking to the leaders once again, and he says, if you use wood, hay, or straw to build with, it's just going to be burned up in the end. It's not going to accomplish anything. Now, he doesn't unpack what wood, hay, or straw is specifically, but he's just saying that these are the things that you could build the church on that are, are unstable, that are of, of like human origin, that are of your own wisdom, your own ideas. If you build it on that, it's not going to last. In fact, what this church was doing in particular was they were trying to build the church around human leaders, Right? Hey, who's, who's for Paul? Come, come over here. We're going to build the church. Who's for Apollos? Okay, we're going to build the church around a person. 
And Paul goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's just going to get burned up, man. That's not going to work. Don't do that. Instead, he says, if you use building materials like gold and silver and precious stones, then this thing's going to last. And those gold and silver and precious stones are things related to building on the foundation of Jesus Christ using the truth of his word, right? Building the church not based on some idea that's going to draw a crowd or something that's going to make people feel better about, you know, just themselves. It's something that says, we're going to build on what God's word says because we know that this is going to last. And the building's going to be strong. It's going to withstand the fire, as it were. So the first thing Paul does is he instructs the church people themselves, and he says, do not elevate leaders above their rightful place as servants. And then he turns to those servants, those builders, and he says, be careful how you build. This is an awesome task that I've called you to. And do not build on a different foundation. And do not try and build the church around human wisdom. Build it around my wisdom. And it will last. And then Paul wraps it all up at the end. And he kind of brings all these ideas together, right? Remember what he's talking about is a church that is deeply divided because they have put their focus on people instead of on God. The leaders are doing that and the people are doing that. And he's trying to give them God's perspective. And then at the very end, the last couple of verses, he sort of takes all that he said about the field, workers in the field, and God's the one who makes it grow. He, he takes all that he said about the building and his direction to, to leaders to say, build with good materials, build on the foundation of Christ. And then he brings it all together at the end. And he says, this is what I'm talking about, and this is why. Let's read it. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men. That's his summary statement, right? So in case you miss the point, don't boast in people. In fact, as he said earlier in this letter, in light of the cross on which Jesus died, you can't boast in any person. You can only boast in Christ, right? So, so bottom line, don't boast in people. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Now, the first part, maybe that made sense. Like he goes, okay, don't boast in people. Okay, bottom line, church, don't put your focus on people. Don't lift them above their rightful place. Don't boast in human beings. But then he says this thing that kind of maybe sounds a little bit confusing, right? He says, well, because everything is yours. And he names those people and the world and life and future and life and death. It's all yours. And you're going, what? What's he saying? He's bringing this all together. And here's, here's what I think that Paul is saying. He's saying this. Everything, if you are in Christ, everything is already yours. It's all yours already. 
The leaders in the church, they've been given to you. The world, life, death, the present, the future, it's all yours. And this is why it's all yours. Because you are Christ's. And Christ is God's, and God's the owner of it all. He's he's the one who owns the field. It's all his. And so if you are in Christ, you already have everything you need. You have everything. You're in Christ. You have it. And Christ is in God, and God is the owner of it all. So put your focus on him. And you'll never go wrong. (laughs) To the leaders among us, right here. Some of you who are here, you're leaders in the church. To myself, Paul says, he warns, take care how you build. Be careful how you do this. It's not about you. I I mean, he didn't say it exactly like that, but I think that that's the gist. It's not about you. So make sure that when you build the church that you use materials that are going to last. To the members of the church, to the body of Christ, Paul says, God has given leaders to serve you. And each has a unique task. None is better than the other. They just have different roles. They are farmhands. I have given them for a reason, so follow, but don't favor. Keep your focus on me, the owner of the field, the one who can make you grow. That's his message. See, I think this is very, very relevant to our lives because just like the church in Corinth, I think it's very easy to have a human perspective and to focus on people. People for the good, because God's used them in our lives and we just sort of naturally elevate them and say, man, they're great. God's really used them in my life. And we can begin to put our focus off God and on them. Or for the, for the negative. We can experience some really hard things, some difficult things that maybe a leader did and we can say, well, look at that. And because of that, I'm going to I'm going to reflect that up on God and say, God, how come? And he's saying, well, because you've been focusing on them and I want you to focus on me. I, I, understand, I understand what happened there. I, I know what, I, I, believe me, I'll take care of that. But I just need you to focus on me. And I think we need to hear that. Because I think it's easy for us as God's family, as God's field, as God's building to see things from a human perspective. And every once in a while, we just need to be reminded that God has a different perspective. And we need his perspective. The band's gonna come out here and we are going to um, end in a a time of of worship and response. And and I wanna ask you to, um, 
I want to ask you to listen to the voice of God's Spirit in the next few minutes. Because it may very well be that God brought you here today because He wanted to say something to you about focusing on Him instead of somebody. And maybe there's been something that's been in your life from 20 years ago. Maybe there's been a person that you, you still have up on a pedestal and they were your pastor, they were a leader in your life and it was 20, 30 years ago and you're still sort of focused on that person and God's saying, you can thank me for using them but can you, can, can you lift your head and look at me? So I want to do some things in your life today. Maybe for you, there's some things you need to release and let go of because you've been holding on to some stuff and it's turned into anger or bitterness or you just feel like I can't let go of that because, well, who's going to deal with what that leader did? And you can trust God with that. And, and he wants to set you free to grow you. Maybe your growth has been a little bit stunted because your focus has been on a person or on a person's failures and God wants to grow you. So put your focus on him.